Zu Hause ist, wo ich sein will. Hol mich ab und dreh mich um. Und du stehst hier neben mir. Ich liebe es, wie die Zeit vergeht. Nie für Geld, immer für die Liebe. Dies muss der Ort sein. Hello and good afternoon. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, the 30th of March, and the madness has ended. I haven't tried to count how many bands I saw, and I don't know if I can. So that was 3-4-2015, and I don't know how to describe it to you. I guess it was like a week of Thanksgivings. There's just so much, and it keeps coming. I don't even know what normal is anymore. So to try to return to real life, today we commence with our first of two wrap-up shows to process all the awesome that our little town just witnessed. And today we'll do so with a professional. Yes, today we share 42 minutes with Frankie Barnhill a general assignment reporter for Boise State Public Radio who joined their newsroom full-time this past January. Miss Barnhill, writer, producer, and digital storyteller covered Treefort Music Fest this year for Boise State Public Radio and filed a number of stories which can be found and heard at boisestatepublicradio.org. But before we begin, I just need to thank the Treefort team for something so special. As it was noted... Ort in German means place, and truly, this must be the place. Hello and welcome, Frankie. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm a little tired, Doug, but, um, you know, that's to be expected after those five dizzying days, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And so, I think I saw you last night at, at Rubble Bucket. Did yes. You, did you watch? Yes. Do you happen to know what the singer's name is? I believe is that right I, I think that's that's correct the lead singer yeah and then did you watch most of that show yes I was there yeah I was there for the whole thing it was a it was a priority of mine for sure they're actually one of my favorite bands um and so to get to see them there at the at the shrine was pretty great okay and so I mean the thing that really lingers with me this morning is it must have been like the second or third song she said all right everyone bounce now yep <laughs> where were you at in the in the crowd when she did that i was about let's see um center left a little bit and uh i, I don't know about halfway up so i felt the floor shaking for sure yeah. <laughs> i thought about what the shriners might have been thinking at that moment as they're you know we're bouncing up and down in their 100-year-old historic building, but they always seem to be uh, pleasant and um, in support of everything, although I do kind of wonder when a show like that goes on, what they're thinking. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm not an engineer, but I was definitely nervous. <laughs> and so I, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of <laughs> middle, close to the front, to the right, and mm -hmm. there was just too much motion in that floor. I was I was sure that we were all going to die. <laughs> Man, what a headline that would have been. Yeah. <laughs> rubble bucket turns into rubble. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Rubble bucket creates rubble. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I, I went to the back of the room after that. And then there was there was no more uh, uniform bouncing after that. And it was it was fun. 
Yeah, and they brought the confetti cannon. <laughs> That's what I was excited about. <laughs> and then there was a lot of uh, – sometimes crowd surfing makes me nervous also, but it seemed like this was this was, uh, was pretty fun. Yeah, it was like very gentle crowd surfing. It felt like, like everybody was really conscientious and kind. I think that's generally how Boise crowds are, though. Um, and it was kind of a perfect moment of exemplifying that, it seemed like, especially the last night. Okay, so Boise crowds. How many tree forts have you witnessed in your in your life? Yeah, I have been to three of the four. I, I missed the first one. Um, I would only recently moved here and didn't really understand what was going on yet. And I, I wish I would have witnessed that first one. But, yep, second, third, and then this, this fourth year. Okay, so yeah, you have some standing to judge things. Just a funny little anecdote I noticed is that after four years, the outdoor stage, the Tree Fort logo is starting to get pretty sun bleached this year. Hey, you know what? I totally noticed that as well. Yeah, that orange has faded quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> did you, how many, like how how much of this elephant did you eat this year? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I feel like this is the first year that I've been a full-time reporter covering the festival. My The first year that I um, attended, I was covering it, but in a pretty basic and, and part-time manner with the, the local NPR station I work for. Um, and so this year, I created this whole in-advance coverage plan and, and plotted it out with my editors who were totally on board and really supportive the, the whole way through. Um, so I actually spent the last month and a half or so working on those stories in advance. Um, my goal being to roll some stories up before the festival actually kicked off, partly just to, to garner some interest and people are starting to think about it before everybody's filing stories. And then also, um, <laughs> because selfishly I wanted to have a little bit of fun yeah. and uh, wanted to give me some space for the weekend. So anyway, that all, basically I, I ended up, um, you know, still was definitely reporting and, tweeting mostly from um, for the weekend on Saturday and Sunday and trying to have a digital presence that was strong. Um, and so that, however, allowed me to see quite a bit. Uh, only music, though. That's my one big regret is that I didn't make it to any other sports. It's just so hard to get away from the, the main focuses of music for me. Um, but yeah, I'd say, gosh, in your introduction, you said you weren't sure how many bands you've seen. I, I'm not sure how many I saw either. I'm going to guess. 25, 30, something like that. Well, I was thinking about counting, but I don't even know if it's worth it. Because one of the things, I mean, so uh, last year I felt the same way, that I really did the festival in a big way, but I didn't see anything but music. Mm -hmm. And so this year I made a point of tasting some of the other things too. And so... I saw the Mare Greet Hackfort this year, I, and that wasn't... Oh, how was that? It was, it was wonderful, because uh, Lori Shandro, the uh, event producer, gave this wonderful speech about tree fort culture, and, and that was great. You know, and the mayor talked about um, a need for bourbon fort... <laughs> which I thought... <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was interesting, and then... Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I did, this was a mistake. I did a day of yoga fort because I just had to see what that was all about. Mm -hmm. And and so my core has been, I thought this will be good for me. You know, it'll help me all this 
concrete standing. I'll do, I'll do yoga a few times, but I only did it once, and I ended up in plank for like an hour, and now my my core muscles are so so I have the tree fort hangover with this yoga hangover too, which is oh wow yeah that's a double whammy yeah and then uh oh I I did a couple of the story fort things too. Yeah, how was it? What did you see at Story Fort? I went, I mean, the thing that I, I take away was this wonderful Boise, History of Boise Rock panel. And then um, mm. Brett Netson is such an amazing and profound individual. You would not know it by looking at him. You would you want to write him off as this, you know, sleazy rocker type. But gosh, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, I've I've heard that. <laughs> I've yeah. actually never, never seen him speak or anything, but yeah. I understand. And he's pretty political right yeah yeah he is but then yeah. the really interesting thing about this panel and the point of the panel at story fort was that the local bands that you see when you're growing up are just as important as the national ones i mean it, if not more important because you actually have a personal relationship to them and mm-hmm. so they're the, the bonds that you formed in those formative years uh are just as meaningful as anything that happens on a national stage and and what was so fascinating is that in this panel they showed all these different connections where here's this guy who started this band and then that influenced this guy who started this band and this guy influenced these guys who started this band you know it just it was it was the the history and pedigree of Boise music history in in a room it was amazing wow yeah that sounds fantastic i'm sorry i missed that there, I um, spoke, I met Christian Wynn, the uh, person who put together Story Fort last night at Rebel Bucket, and um, mm-hmm. he said there may be a documentary that comes out of that panel. Oh, gosh. Well, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and what a good point that it makes. You're right. I mean, that's what we uh, all think about when it comes to Tree Fort is they're trying to create that um focus on the the Boise music scene while also bringing in bands that, you know, we might not get to see otherwise if there wasn't something like Tree Fort to bring them in. Um, but yeah, I really, I think it's uh, it's been interesting to watch as a reporter to see them really try and stick with that ethos. And it seems to me as though they're, they're continuing to, to make that be the focus. And um, yeah, they're, they're doing a good job of it. Okay. So how many stories did you end up filing? As a as a reporter for this, uh, let's see. I think I did two uh, full feature stories that were radio stories, so like five minute long produced stories. One about um, the volunteer efforts at Tree Fort, um, which is a, an area that I've always been interested in to know a little bit more about that. I, you know, I always knew that volunteers were a big part of Tree Fort, but didn't know exactly how many. Um, were involved in the fact that uh, when I kind of did the math to figure out how many hours of labor people are donating this year, I think it came out to more than 5,000 hours of donated labor helped build Tree Fort just this year. So if you multiply that over four years, you know, that's that's quite a bit of work. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that was that angle. I was just curious to know and to quantify that a little bit and to dig into why and how volunteers make the festival possible and to what extent it, you know, really creates that community feeling that um, everybody talks about at Tree Fort. And I, it, I mean, my general conclusion is that, yeah, it definitely is it's a huge, huge part of it. Just to see so many people and to understand that 
some of these volunteers go way above and beyond their required hours. I mean, I'm sure there's some, and I ask this, um, of festival organizers, you know, either safeguards, if someone bails on their uh, shifts and stuff like that. And it sounds like they've got a pretty good system for making sure that that doesn't happen. But they also said that they haven't had to actually enforce that, which is kind of amazing to me. Um, yeah, to know that nobody would be taking advantage of that situation. Because I don't know if you know this, but yeah, the volunteers get a, a discounted ticket. You know, they only spend $30 for a five-day pass in exchange for their donated labor. Um, yeah, so that was one story. Then I filed a story about the Shriners, which was really fun to do. Um, I've always been interested in understanding that relationship a little bit more. And it just became this really endearing uh, time to to go and interview these these guys who, you know, 75 years old probably, um, a number of them. Although there's, there's a couple guys that are younger and understanding how they see Tree Fort and how they're just so gung-ho about it. And I don't know, I think it's um, one of those kind of stories that I think is really unique to Boise and to Tree Fort, and it was really fun to do. Um, and beyond that, I probably think four or five separate web stories that were web exclusive, um, including like a list of bands that I recommended people to go see, although it's really hard to do that. <laughs> was, what, was it you that recommended the 13 bands then? Yeah, that was my piece. Mm-hmm. Did they? Did yeah. anyone else have any input, or just because I wonder about the the amount of power that someone in the media has when they say these are the thirteen bands you need to see, or I mean, the Weekly's done that in the past, or the Statesman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I go back and forth about that. Last year, I didn't do a list of band recommendations, um, mostly because I, yeah, I wondered what kind of power I'm holding when I when I do that, but. At the same time, I mean, my story I let in even was just saying, like, these are 13 bands and it's a totally random number because out of 430, you know, it's pretty hard to choose. Um, So here's some ideas. I I actually created it with the schedule in mind. So um, the 13, it wasn't in order of best to, you know, because last being 13th, it was actually 13 in order of uh, this would actually be a feasible schedule to follow. And tried to create, you know, a, a mix of genre um, for people to see. But in the end, it was, you know, my musical taste was definitely prevalent. And those were all bands that I wanted to see. Um, but I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm I'm not a music critic. I'm, I'm just a general assignment reporter who really likes music. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I also see that, especially with um, my audience, the public radio audience, I mean, people like some, some guidance or some suggestions. Um, definitely. And I think I, you know, provide some context for that, and that's that's about the best I can do. Um, yeah, and then let people go the direction they want. I, I also was kind of taking into account. I think other people's lists had already come out, like the Statesman and a couple others had already put theirs out. So I also tried to not uh, name the same acts to try and give people a few different ideas. Yeah. Back to the labor idea, how how many volunteers, like, do you have a, a count of how many people comprise those 5,000 hours? Yeah, they said, um, I think it was, was it 500? More than 500 volunteers this year alone. Hmm. Yeah, and then in total, um, over the four years, the rough math would be more than 1,500 volunteers have helped with three-fourths. Which is so fascinating. I mean, that's the the bottom line is that the festival 
hasn't made any money. They haven't even broken even financially. And if they didn't have volunteers, they wouldn't exist. There's no way that they could afford to do what they do without people giving their time and talent to make it happen. But they continue. So like this year, it struck me, what what if, I mean, we just count that this is something that happens. What if, what if, what if you know, one year they just, they couldn't do it? Right. And I mean, I, I, that's a very um, reasonable question. And I think it's one that they wrestle with every year. And um, I spoke with uh, Festival Director Eric Gilbert yesterday um, and did just kind of a, a preliminary um, story on where they think they, they landed with everything. You know, part of their calculus this year was to bring in um, maybe some more mainstream or more well-known bands to try and garner a wider audience. Um, so like Josh Ritter was a big get. Um, I mean, obviously Idaho uh, Idaho guy who everybody loves, but um, a little bit more on the radar with with more people. Um, TV on the radio is fairly, um, you know, household name, not just among main, or indie um, music lovers. So, yeah, anyway, so that was part of our calculus, but those, those bands cost money, you know, uh, a lot of money, actually, probably. And I think um, they're trying to figure out uh, expenses with, you know, ticket sales um, to raise ticket prices or to keep ticket prices low and maybe have different kinds of lesser known, less expensive bands. So I think they're they're definitely still trying to figure out that mix um, and they haven't figured it out yet. Although maybe when the dust settles in a few weeks and they've been able to look at their books, maybe they will have figured it out this year. I'm, I'm not sure they, they don't know yet either. So we'll see. Did you, did you see Josh Ritter? I didn't. I, um, I was actually hosting a in-studio performance at our radio station that evening. So I, wasn't able to see him. Did you see him? I did, I, and I had never been, so uh, listeners should know. So this was Wednesday night, the first night of the festival, and what was new this year was they were they were doing. So last year they did an. Un, it was not part of the festival proper, but there was the history of Boise Rock Night, and so the shrine was open. All, everyone with the wristband was able to go in. That was last year. This year. They expanded the festival to the fifth day, so Wednesday was a, an official day of the festival, and they had kind of like folk night at the Cathedral of the Rockies, which, um, and then if, there were some other shows that started kind of uh, early evening and didn't go super late, I don't think, but um, so anyway, yeah, I went to the Cathedral Rockies, I'd never been in there, and what a setting for a show, the acoustics were incredible, it was packed. You wouldn't believe how many people were in there, and it wasn't, it wasn't the usual Tree Fort audience. So it felt, it felt different, but it was, it was special, and it was a really great way for me to begin the thing. Um, I thought Josh was great. Elena from Hooray for the Riff Raff was the the second act, but the first act, Tom Brousseau, was fabulous. He was funny and charming. And his music is just, it's crisp and just, it was wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, that venue, gosh, what a, I think that's just, uh, along with the shrine, I think it just makes um, Tree Fort be just so unique with the multi-venue festival. <laughs> I mean, what other, what other festival? I don't know. I'm sure there's others that use, use churches and such, but it's fascinating. Um, I've seen, uh, did you see, you said that was the first time you'd been there. They had um, Duck Club 
um, had put on, let's see, I think it was David Bazan in the fall, and I think that was kind of their test run at the Cathedral of the Rockies, and that was totally chilling. So I can only imagine what it was like for Treefort with, with all those people, too. Did When you were there, did it start... I mean, so that was part of how spectacular it was, because the, the, you had the sun streaming through the stained glass, but the church itself is pretty dark. Right. And so it was it was just lit up. I mean, it's it's the same experience. And so, like, I, maybe we move into that conversation. So, like, you go to this big rock show, and you see all these different colored lights, and they're flashing and stuff. This was the same thing, and you realize that on this kind of basic human level, you know, we're looking for a transcendent experience out of this that's quasi-religious. Yeah, or yes, at least spiritual to some degree. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I thought that when I when I went to the cathedral for the day of the Zansha, I mean, the acoustics and just just everything about that setting was so so beautiful. I was really in favor of it. Um, so it's, it's great to know that they uh, went with it for Tree Ford. I hope that they use it again next year. Yeah, it yeah. it was it was special. Uh, with that in mind then so like i'm chasing all these different bands and tasting things because i want experience but at the same time if you go to someone's performance and it's so moving that you like lose track of your yourself your time your place all of a sudden you're just in that thing you have that experience did you experience that with anyone at this festival yeah, let's see. This year, um, I would say the band that probably did that for me the most was um, actually Bed, which they're a Portland band, and they played at the Shrine. And I think part of that, it, it wasn't a super intimate setting or anything. You know, I think that sometimes that that comes along with it. If it's a smaller venue, that those moments can happen a little bit more. But um, I think part of it, I mean, they're like a fuzzy 90s rock. You know, it's not exactly like... Uh, some acoustic set or something like that that you would associate with a kind of transcendent spiritual moment with a with some music. But I'd say that for for a lot of reasons, um, their sound is really great. Also, they're just so humble and they start they're just beginning their their rise. Um, and they the lead singer um, Sierra, I think is her name. She reached out a couple times during the set and just said, "What are you guys?" doing here just completely you know blown away by the fact that so many people were at that show and really thankful and I think that that's part of what can create a really you know memorable moment is um, having that connection with the audience and having the band be really thankful that you're there and you're choosing them because that's the biggest thing that everybody talked about Tree Fort this year especially with so many bands I mean it's just you're constantly choosing and making decisions and saying yes to one band over a number that you would love to go see. So it was, it was great to, to see a band that was, um, you know, just starting to get their footing, you know, has a really great sound and are good performers and are so thankful that people were there to, to see them and to support them. It's interesting. You, you hit right on, for me, the most difficult choice of the whole festival, and that was Friday night at 10 o'clock. Yep. <laughs> because... You had, like you said, Bed at the Shrine, and then at Neuralux was this Seattle band called Sisters, and then mm-hmm. yeah. at the Rose Room was Rose Quartz, and that kind of kicked off a really interesting night at the Rose Room where you had Rose Quartz, Shades, and then Magic Sword, and I think if you wanted to go to Magic Sword, you kind of needed to get in the in the room as early as possible. 
Yes, yeah. Actually, after bed, I, I ran over to the Rose Room and caught the Shade Show to to get to see a little bit of Magic Sword. I haven't seen them in a in a while, so I wanted to be sure I got them. Yeah, ten ten o'clock on Friday. I, I also wanted to see Sisters, but thankfully knew I would have another opportunity to see them, so chose to see Bed instead. I it was so hard. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna hop. I was so I you know then thankfully there were these second chance shows, but you know what I realized is there's something about the all the people and the lights and that energy you get at the official showcase that. Really, I mean, so I had a, a moment with sisters at the Neurolux at ten. So I was planning on just staying for a little bit and leaving, and I couldn't, I couldn't leave because it was so special. They are so incredibly good. Um, did did you said that you got a second chance to see them? Did you see them at the Apes on Tape then? Yes, yeah, I saw them at the, the Apes on Tape showcase at Woodland Empire, um, which was yeah, it was great. But you're totally right. I mean. Totally, very different settings. I'm really glad, though, this year that there were so many second chance um, showings for people, especially, and some free options for people who maybe couldn't afford or didn't make sense to buy a five-day pass but still wanted to catch some music. Um, and it really felt this year, like Apes on Tape, um, the guy who runs it, Nick, uh, he, I mean, he's he did that last year. He had a showcase and it was really um, fantastic as well. And he's, you know, a super smart, um, savvy music blogger. And, uh, but last year, I think maybe it wasn't attended super, super well. Um, uh, however, that the shows were just, you know, really well curated, but this year it seemed like, at least when I was there, there were at least 35 people there, which was fantastic to see. And I, I think that people were filtering in and out at about those numbers, the, the both of those days. And I know that there were showcases throughout the city and second chance shows at um, places like Bitter Creek and St. Lawrence. And yeah, I think it is great to see that that's continuing to grow and, and other venues are, you know, taking, taking tree fort and running with it a little bit. And it's cool that tree fort is so open to, to that idea. Yeah. There were, um, th- that it was interesting that in that there were a lot of, interesting options this year so there was a portland day party there was a seattle day party and there was a denver day party mm-hmm. and they were all free yeah did you see the portland where was that was it the Nerlux? it was and it looked yeah. really interesting and one of the bands that i wanted to see that i didn't it was just didn't work out with summer cannibals but i still wasn't able to negotiate it Sure. And then Record Exchange. So they did in stores yeah. every every day of the festival. I uh, I don't know if they started on Thursday. Yeah, I think they did. I think I went to all four of those. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I missed them this year. How how I, I've been before, but um, they always seem to put on good shows. How were they? They were great. It was so funny, because uh, uh, afterwards I was talking to Brian Russian. He he was amazed at uh, he's like his ears are ringing it's like wow i can't believe how <laughs> the the the, fir- the early the early uh in stores were they felt like a real show they, they they've got such a great sound system in there but they had cranked it up and mm-hmm. and there were a couple uh francisco the man was one that were great they were loud and great and then uh the, with the what are they called oh joyce manor they sounded tremendous. Oh yeah, which was yeah, nice that was because kind of a buzz band. A lot yeah. of people talking about them. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't make it to the knitting factory this year. Did you make it over there? I made it for one show that was a priority show. I saw um, Black Milk, the Detroit hip hop act, on Saturday night there. Great. Yeah. yeah. And how was that? Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was it was totally worth it. I mean, the one thing about the knitting factory is it's a little bit, you know, it's off the path a little bit, so you do have to make it make that trek over there. Um, not that it's that big of a footprint. I mean, no, <laughs> it's not downtown Boise in general is, is small. We know that, but. It, I did have to, you know, kind of pull myself away from um, the rest of the festival to go do that. And um, I actually went by myself. Um, and I did that a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of friends that are in town who live here. And I had people that were visiting at the same time that I was also trying to cover the festival. And so that moment, I kind of took that and said, this is a priority for me. I'm, I'm going to go to the Knitting Factory. And um, he was fantastic. Just, oh, my gosh, so great. And he... The great thing about him, too, is that he has, you know, a live band with him. He has um, a keyboardist and a bass player and a drummer. And he just kept, he gave him so many props. It was great. He just kept saying, you know, thank my band. This is my band. They're so great throughout his set. And that that was cool to see. And it was just good to kind of break up the indie rock shows that I'd been seeing to go see some hip-hop. That was fun. What about local bands? I know that in your in your recommendation you had several local acts. Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, let's see. Who did I actually end up seeing? I mean, that's what's tricky is that, uh, thankfully, um, I, I get to see a number of them um, uh, in town, obviously. Um, I have that option. But um, I ended up, I really wanted to see Marshall Poole. They're, they're just great. I really love them. Um and but however they were playing last night at 10:30, and Rebel Bucket was going to start at 11. Although I, I think Rebel Bucket started late, so I probably could have caught Marshall Pool. But anyway, I, I ended up missing Marshall Pool. But I've seen them a number of times in town, and I think they're just yeah one of those bands that I really hope they do they do well and um, yeah get us we get a following further outside of this area. Um, let's see who else did I even sing? I can't remember who's on my list. <laughs> That's I how it goes. Logan oh. Hyde, is that his name? Logan Hyde, yeah, and I'm really sorry that I missed him, but I think that he'll start performing more regularly. This was his first performance. Um and he was yeah, he was he played with Youth Youth Lagoon. Um, so you know, has some very credible um uh kind of background for sure, but this is it's, it's cool to see someone like that go and start his own project now and, and to follow that. I did catch um Sick Business at the Neurolux for like maybe 20 minutes. Um, and they're a fun band. Have you seen them before? No. Is that a Andy Rayborn project? That's that's not. <laughs> yeah, Andy Rayborn has so many, right? Right. Um, no, that's uh, Dan, Danny Kerr, who is Atomic Mama. Okay. And he has his, his solo project, Brother Dan. Um, Danny Kerr and Sarah... Um, and then I can't remember her last name right now. Uh, and then Frankie T- um, Tilo, I think is how he says his name. I don't recall the drummer's name, but yeah, they're they're really fun and uh, kind of put you in a trance. And I can't remember where I ran to after. I only caught a few of their songs, but I mean, it's always good to see local bands, and I think that people should go do that, um, which is why I put them on my my list. But at the same time, uh, when Tree Fort's here, <laughs> there's so many bands that I, I wouldn't get to see. On a regular basis, I also want to be sure that I'm catching acts that are that are from out of town. Did you have any problems with lines this year? 
Um, I thankfully, actually, there was one moment that got a little bit hairy, but for the most part, I'm I was good. Um, there, yeah, what was that? Was it? It was at the court, um, El Cora. Who was everybody glomming to see? It was Saturday night, I believe. Um, oh. oh, yachts. That was it. Oh, it was and that was after. After so the main stage let out. Everyone was at Chick Chick Chick. Yep. And then they all wanted to go to yacht. And then as we're walking across, there's an ambulance and a fire truck, and it just looks yep. like the world had exploded over there. It does. Yeah, I think I tweeted and was uh, talking to some other people on Twitter about you know somebody said like let the Titanic out here with the line and who's gonna get in and. There was the, the conflict of um, people with the zip line passes that allow you to skip the line um, for, uh, you know, paying more to, to be able to do that with that kind of a ticket. But um, sometimes it seems like people, like people in the crowd, in the line, don't understand that. And they didn't have a very well organized, at least for a little while, the line wasn't organized at all. And there was actually two lines at the El Cora competing with each other. People had started lines going the opposite direction. And um, anyway, I was kind of thankfully pulled through with my test pass, uh, which was really great. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that kind of thing, it's inevitable that it would happen and it didn't happen that much. I do kind of wonder, you know, if there's better systems that they could um, use sometimes when a moment like that happens. Although I, I followed up with Eric Gilbert about it and they got that under control pretty quickly it sounded like um i was kind of witnessing the worst of it with the, the titanic metaphors i think uh yeah did you did you experience any lines I, I didn't really have any other issues besides that i think i'm too timid i'm afraid that i'm going to get stuck well so like uh it must have been 2013 uh, one of the acts that we interviewed was sage francis and that was the one that i wanted to see and then i got stuck outside for it Oh, yeah. And it kind of broke my heart. It's like, I can't believe that I just I went on air and told everyone, do you want to show up early for this? Because it's going to go to capacity. And then I was stuck outside. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I mean, I saw him at the record exchange when he did an in-store that year. But then, sure. so I got burned. And now, like, I think the shows are kind of set up that uh, after it's over, you can run and catch the end of something else. Right. You, you know, but for whatever reason, it seemed like I was always, um, I had all this dead time waiting, you know, letting bands set up and stuff because I was afraid, you know, like, I want to see this band. I'm going to, uh, a perfect example is Twerps. They played mm -hmm. Thursday night at the Linden Building, and I was certain that everyone, that that was one of the hot tickets. Mm-hmm. And so I went and watched Happiness, which I was glad that I did because they were great. But there was, you know, there wasn't any line that I needed to worry about. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that calculus, and you just never know. Like last night, like I said, I really wanted to catch Marshall Pool, which started at 10.30, and Rubble Bucket was supposed to be at 11. And I knew everybody was going to want to go to Rubble Bucket or a lot of people after main stage is all done. Um, but you know, then Rebel Bucket soundtrack took longer, and so I probably could have caught Marshall Pool and done Rebel Bucket. But hindsight, you know. <laughs> it seemed like Delicate know. Steve started kind of late, too, a couple nights ago. Uh, yes, I think I heard that, right? And I probably could have, and that was another one that I was going to try and catch, but I ended up sticking on that, the Rose Room side of the world because um, I, I didn't think I'd be able to make it. Yeah. 
and that's actually where I mean I'm I'm happy the way things went, but I feel just this twinge of regret that I didn't I didn't experience Magic Sword because it looked really special with the with the kids with the swords and the fireflies. Yeah, yeah, the performance art this year, the um, I guess those elements of yeah, the dragonflies and the squids. That was a really fun uh, added element. I know that there was some of that last year, but it's cool to see that really expand. Were you? I mean, you were. I'm guessing you were at TV on the radio last night. I was. Yeah, and when when the squids came out and the dragonflies were there, I don't know. That that was great. I think uh, I'd like to see more of that continue at Treefort. I think that that's just a funny, funny, um, quirky element. That I mean, it's a very festival-like thing to do, but. It's cool to see Boiseans get behind it. Also, there were the Felix the Cat puppets. I don't know who yeah. those are. <laughs> that was great. The the thing that yeah. I, I remarked, you, you see that, is like when you do something like that, you really have to own that. If you're going to wear the cat, the 20-foot cat outfit to the right. main stage, you're wearing that all day. <laughs> right, right. And if you're holding the squid, you're going to be doing that you know, every night and rocking out underneath it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it I don't that takes the a special personality to right cuz on some level they're performing for the band. Right. Yeah, they're and, having a conversation with the band. Yeah, absolutely. And then so uh, there was this point in TV on the radio where he would go 1 2 3 light and one of the squids was synced up and they were they were lighting the squid at the same time as tv on the radio was you know hitting the (laughs) and it's like you know that's great like this is really that's something yeah super special uh well we're starting to kind of wind down what what do you take from tree 4 2015 that you know was with with you forever what do you i mean have you begun to kind of make sense of it um, yeah, I mean, at this stage, yeah, I think it'll take a few more days to digest it all, but, um, I think it was interesting. And I mean, as a reporter, I'm looking at it, uh, and just wondering if all of their calculus that they were trying to, you know, create the, the festivals they want or maintain the, you know, the vibe, as Eric Gilbert says, of, you know, the community feeling and, um, this kind of just general attitude of uh, making sure that the performances are really fantastic and that the performers have a good time um, making that a priority along with all of the music goers. And that's a lot, lot to have to, you know, kind of balance out. And then also to see if they actually are able to be financially stable so that Tree Fork can go back next year. And um, at this stage, I mean, to me, it seems as though it seemed like there were more people. It seemed like there was more different kinds of people. Um, I think, like you said, the, the cathedral, it sounded like, was a really good example of that. And so, I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting to find out exactly how well they did um, and whether people really bought into it and are buying into what they're trying to continue to facilitate in this town. I mean, the fact that they're the cultural ambassadors of the city of Boise too. I think that's that's an interesting side to all of this. And um, I mean, to me, it seems as though they're really taking that that role seriously, um, and certainly are having an economic impact on the city. So 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing for me is just curious to see what um, actually ended up happening with their finances, if they're able to, you know, get what they needed from the people that they're trying to attract. And then um, so they can continue. Transcendent moments. What, you know, yeah, transcendent moments. Um, I mean, to me, it's so much of Tree Fort is just about being in the moment wherever you end up being. Because I did find myself in places like stumbling into a, um, a venue that I wasn't really sure what was happening there and then ended up staying and being pleasantly surprised. Um, so that, that happened to me a couple times. And I would say at the, like I said, the, the bed show, feeling that connection with the band, that they were so thankful for us to be attending. And we were so thankful that they were um, humble and also, you know, great performers. I would say that that was a really transcendent moment for me. Wonderful. That was 42 Minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. My baby would be quiet. I would say, you've been listening to Frankie Barnhill on SyncBook Radio, a production of SyncBook.com. Information about the work of Ms. Barnhill can be found at frankiebarnhill.pressfolios.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com membership. Thanks so much, and I felt so damn happy if you wanted to know the truth. It was just that she looked so damn nice, the way she kept going around and around in her blue coat and all. God, I wish you could have been there.